Welcome to Behind the Game, the Kids in the Game official podcast, where we cover the intersection of youth development, sports, education, and technology in the New York City landscape. Awesome. Well, welcome everybody to episode 20 of Behind the Game, Kids in the Game's official podcast. I'm your host, Paul O'Connor. On this episode, we are joined by Risa Hamilton Lightfoot. Uh, Risa is a former Up to Us Vista and is currently working as the Senior Manager of Learning and Development at Away. Um, Risa also finished her master's degree at the University of Edinburgh in performance psychology, specifically with a lens on sports psychology and helping athletes achieve peak performance, which is awesome and uh, we're gonna be getting into today. But Risa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. How, uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, really excited, a little bit nervous. No, there's nothing you can't mess up. It's just a it's just a podcast, right? There's there's nothing uh, nothing to mess up. This is gonna be fun. Excited to have you. But um, you know, first and foremost, for people that don't know you, just want to give you an opportunity to talk about your background and experience, and um, you know, all the way back to the up to us days, and and then how you got to where you are now. Yeah. Um, so I played sports a lot as a kid. I went to I went to private school played three sports there, soccer, basketball, softball, tore my ACL, and like most kids, and um, ended up becoming sort of academically interested in sport, studied performance psychology at the University of Edinburgh, and what was cool about that program is that it allowed you to sort of look at how the tenets of sports psychology could be applied to any element of a high performance game, whether that is as an athlete, as someone in emergency services, or someone who is a corporate leader. And so the course ran for a year. I wrote my dissertation on how not to choke under pressure. (laughs) We're gonna need to send that out to everybody afterwards. Everyone could use that. I don't know. (laughs) Um, And then before going to Edinburgh, I actually was the summer VISTA at Up To Us in their inaugural year. And I had the opportunity to work on the partnership that they launched with Nike to help equip urban coaches to do the urban coach training video um, initiative. And then also worked on making sure that all of the organizations under the Up To Us umbrella um, were CNCS compliant. And so making sure that they understood like by partnering with us, this is what your membership includes and this is what we should be, um, this is what you should be doing in terms of offering kids the best services that they they can have. Um, Coming out of Edinburgh, it was sort of a bit of a and so I went back into nonprofit and so my career as it spans has been going sort of in and out of nonprofit but always focusing on how to harness talent how to develop talent in the organizational development capacity or in the learning and developing capacity and so I feel like everything that I did before then has kind of led me to this point and have always had a passion for sports psych and sports based development so that's a brief intro and all the things I've done. That's awesome. Um, Well, we're going to dive into all that good stuff and appreciate um, 
you know, giving, uh, give everybody a, a brief background, like you said. But before we do that, um, you know, I, I want to discuss the recent events surrounding the, the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and, and Ahmaud Arbery. Um, this obviously has been an extremely difficult past couple of weeks and wanted to give you an opportunity to share your thoughts. I know you and I have talked multiple times uh, before this podcast, but um, just wanted to give you an opportunity to share your thoughts on everything that's been going on. And um, yeah, but, but, uh, I'll leave it at that. It's hard to sort of put a succinct feeling behind everything. Um, because I think the lack of existence in America and around the world is a tough one. It's yep. really, really hard. And, you know, there's this need to try and portray these people as completely innocent. And even if they weren't completely innocent, there needs to be a conversation around how do we not use lethal force against people when situations are high risk mm -hmm. and it's disproportionately affecting black people and there is this conversation around how do we make this different in terms of law enforcement but i think there needs to be a change on all fronts with how we are as a society and we have to look at it through sports-based youth development, the way in which we integrate in corporate settings, bias that has been developed in our bodies and in who we are to help us survive. How do we adapt that in a way that makes it safe for all of us to exist and thrive and have the same access to the quality of life that we're all striving for? And, you know, it's, it's just heartbreaking. So like Elijah McCain, he passed away, what well, was murdered before Ahmaud Aubrey, before George Floyd, before Breonna Taylor. And now his name is coming back into the fold. And it's just, you don't have to be an ideal victim. It keeps happening. Yep. Yep. And so that needs to be the conversation as well. How do we stop this from happening? Because the list has not stopped growing. Yeah. yeah, without a doubt. And I think you, you, you brought you said it um, in a really good way uh, early on that uh, even if, even if you were committing a crime, it does not, it cannot result in, in a death. I don't care what crime it is. It doesn't matter the crime. And for them, I would, I don't want to, I don't like to speak in absolutes, but I will say for the majority no, they weren't doing anything. Um, and so the, the, the re, if your response, and I'm sorry that we're kicking it off this way, but I feel like I know, not, I know, it's but good. It's we good. Can't it's, not. It's, it's all not. Um, for your response to this to be, well, if you just complied, this won't happen, is so unbelievably tone deaf, ignorant, uh, missing the point, whatever, whatever. I don't even think those three do it justice in terms of how I'm trying to portray that. But you, you said it the right way. Like it doesn't matter right. if you committed a crime it be, it, because if I did those crimes, I, I, again, I don't like to speak in absolutes, but I would bet a lot of money 
that my I would still be alive. How about that? I'll right. put it that way. Right. And it's quite obvious the reason why that is. And there are even so even if we're saying that you made you you made a rush decision when under pressure, the video of George Floyd dying, the officer had his hands in his pockets. There were other patrol vehicles on the corner. There were other police officers right there by his side. So there is a point at which you are no longer in imminent danger. In Breonna Taylor's case, she was asleep. Her partner was there with her. Like there are so many different instances where even if I was just doing the most (laughs) and just being there, there has to be a reason why leading to mortal force that Mm -hmm. that should be the last option that you pursue. Yep. Yep. And it's, and it's just sad that we keep having to have this discussion and there's been more than enough training. There's been more than enough education. At some point you are aware enough and this continues to be the choice. So why is that? Yep. Yep. Without a doubt. Um, I mean, obviously we've, uh, everyone, the, the whole country, the whole world has, has their, their eyeballs on this um, more than ever. You know, I, I think you and I talked about it too, like in part because, yeah, we all are home right now and, and we all are focused on it. You know, there's, there's less distractions, you know. Sometimes it, it felt like when this did happen um, in years prior, it would get like swept under the rug because, people were focused on different things or they're, you know, you, you get caught up in your own, your own life and you just, it's, it's, so I will say, I think I said this to you um, on our phone call last week too. If there's anything to be thankful for COVID for, it's that, it's that we are now having these conversations, all eyeballs are on it. There's no, there's no escaping it. So I think what you're raising is an interesting point and it's both, it's both good and heartbreaking mm-hmm. is that the systemic killing of black people can be sort of reduced in a way to a trending topic. No. And that right now we are at a stage where all of our energy and all of our attention is being focused on black lives matter as a movement. But the reality is, is that what do we do as a next step once the attention has focused to something still in crisis. Even when the cameras aren't rolling, when we're not covering headlines, what is going to happen next to make sure that we are doing the hard work and the the resonating work that needs to be done as a next step? Because we're going to keep hitting these fever pitches if we don't. And that's, it's a good segue into the next um, question about it is because everyone's eyeballs are on it and, and everyone is talking about it and having conversations, we've seen statements from every organization, every brand, I mean, tons of athletes, um, some people you don't even expect to hear from and you hear from. And I think I'll, I'll, I'll say that there's, there's good and bad to that. You know, I thought that the idea around posting the, the black box was, had all the right intent. And I think for the most part was positive and made a difference because it's all you saw. 
Now, mm -hmm. some people said, well, yeah, but we're not talking about, like, we're kind of taking a day off from talking about it and acting. Um, but I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on the black box. I still lean towards it was positive and, and it, the intention was there and it forced people to continue to um, at least try and show your standing in solidarity or your support for the movement. I don't know. Like, I mean, Twitter is not exactly the most helpful uh, and healthy place. So, <laughs> no. And, and you can read one opinion and then oh, write man, underneath. Oh, the threads, the threads. The threads are insane. So I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to get your thoughts on that and, and how you thought it, it all went. Um, I think Blackout Tuesday, like you said, started with really positive intent. And I think organizations participating in it, it feels good as a consumer, as a potential customer, as a black woman, you are looking to see is the brand that I've been supporting also supporting my personhood. And that's just on a personal level. But then on a personal level, I'm a black woman in a workplace. Yeah. And I've worked in corporate for a long time now. And the intent and the rhetoric that organizations put out is not necessarily the felt experience that its employees have. And yeah. so if you are not an inclusive workplace, why would you be posting a black square? And if you know that your house is not clean, then try and clean your own house and maybe on Wednesday, the conversation should have been, yesterday we participated in Black Blackout Tuesday because we now know that we have a lot of work to do and we've participated in this in the wrong way before that. And so that's how you take it from being a moment and something that could potentially be perceived as performative activism and something that you're saying, I'm making the commitment to change. Yeah. Yeah, I want to um, stick on the, the the next step now. And you've mentioned it a couple of times, like now what? You know, everyone's mm -hmm. eyeballs are on it. We're all talking about it. How mm -hmm. do we um, move to change? And and I, everyone at Kids in the Game, myself included, has a youth-focused lens on it, you know? And, and I constantly think, you know, and, and for right or wrong, I'm not necessarily going to try and change a 45-year-old's opinion. I want to change, or or maybe not even change, just emphasize what they, I mean, look, Gen Z is yeah. awesome. So I just want to make sure that we're doing everything we can through SPORE um, to help shape their mindset as they enter the workforce and become adults. So Wanted to get your thoughts on how you think the sport-based youth development world, uh, uh, the community, can help the next step, whatever that is. So I think sports-based youth development is already doing a really amazing job. You're using sport as a vehicle to teach kids life skills, to cope with the hardships that they're going to inevitably encounter. And it's always been about transferring the skills that you have in sport into life. Exactly. I think the... I think the next step of how this can play out or how we can better leverage it is now that we're starting to see that the playing ground isn't necessarily always fair, how do you comport yourself? How do you find your way to continue to have a certain amount of mental toughness, manage your stress in a healthy way? It's keep moving and it's keep listening. And, you know, there's a certain amount of patience that you have and 
really trying to figure out when do you act versus when do you take a minute and try to strategize and process because I always think that we want to lead to action and then there's not a lot of thought around it and so I think within as practitioners within sports-based youth development that's a conversation is how do we best serve the kids now that we see that things are really bubbling up differently and then for the kids it's you know what are you taking away from this now and what do you hope to give back once you're a little bit older because I know that there are kids who are young seven and eight but there are kids who are 16 17 getting ready to go off to college they have a sound sense of self now that you've formed your self-concept and you have a strong self-concept what do you what would you wish for kids like you to know and maybe try and capture that because that will continue to help in sort of a pituitary in perpetuity yeah <laughs> yep 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 no i totally get it and that that makes total sense what do you think coaches can specifically do because i you know i i get on my soapbox about how there isn't if you want to be a doctor if you want to be a lawyer, if you want to be a mechanic, if you want to be almost anything in life, there's schooling you have to go to, there's training, yeah. there are requirements, there are certifications. If you want to be a coach, you can just kind of be one. You, you just get a bag of balls and <laughs> you start a program and now you are a coach. I mean, I got coached. Now, this isn't a good example because my dad was a coach, but like I got coached by my dad all the time. And like how many people do that? And I'm not saying don't do that. That's super fun. I, I wish I could go back to eighth grade right now, but how can, and, and there's, I think it's a two part question. One, like how can we improve just the coaching, just the skill development, just the, the, the drills, how can we improve that aspect of coaching? But to your point, we're coming out of a, uh, a very traumatic experience for everybody. Um, and kids are less able to, you know, go through i don't even know the right way to say it like they're, they're just less capable than a a 30 year old adult to go through something that we like this that we just went through so i it's a two-part question like who can help us with just the coach training and then how can we get coaches more into the psychology part of it so that we're not just yelling and screaming when a kid makes a mistake yeah yeah um there i think there's a movement now that's looking at sort of trauma training coaches so that they're becoming more aware of how to educate kids through physical education to come through trauma. Talked about this a little bit as well. It was, you know, the research on trauma and mental toughness being a tool that does it cause strong performance in kids or does it actually help you or is it just one of and so, you know, you will kind of like social science that correlation does not equal causation. Mm -hmm. And so just because trauma and high performance are related doesn't mean that you have to have the trauma to be a high performer. And so for coaches who are starting out and they're helping kids to navigate these periods of trauma, it's going to be, listen, if you notice that you're your kids are acting a little bit differently than how you normally would have seen them. Like if they, if you know that they're normally, they take a little bit of wrangling, a little bit of, you know, herding cats because it's, 
their children, they're not going to focus. But if you notice that the focus has severely dropped, if you notice that they're acting out in different ways, be more mindful of what how they're deviating from the norm. And sometimes it's on the pitch, you can you can drill down a little bit more, but then take some time off the pitch and really ask, like, you know, I noticed that you had an unfocused day. Is everything okay? And leave it there. Yep. Yeah. And let I, them I, come yeah. to you. Yeah. I think something that I've learned, um, and I and I have a feeling I always did it. I just didn't know uh, maybe I was even doing it or or necessarily like what the label was. But the in-between time, the time when they arrive to the gym, in between drills, post-practice, the walk to the subway, that I've learned is actually infinitely more important than what we did in practice. And I would disagree. When I was in college basketball, it was more important what we did in practice. But now in youth specifically, that time is so important. Like to your point, listen, be a shoulder they can lean on, ask about their academics, ask what's happening in their family time. And then I think to take it even another step further and something that we've done a good job at Kids in the Game and King Hoops is hang out with them outside of basketball. Like mm-hmm. go, go see a movie as a team, um, go anything outside because they get to know you more, they get to know their teammates better. Um, I think that's super important and, and you mentioned that. So again, it's like, how do we get all coaches to do that though? I think it's taking a genuine interest in, in knowing that performance happens both on and off the field. So just like how, when you're training for like weeks and months at a time, you actually improve during your rest times versus when you're training nonstop. So that's what you want to impart to coaches as well. Yes, everything that you're doing in practice is really important. Getting them together and having them focus during practice is everything. But to really harness and develop their talent, to really help them understand why it's important, you want to invest in them off the field too. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I want to back up a little bit. I know you mentioned your ACL injury um, earlier, but it what made you get into this field? Was it, was it at the injury that kind of propelled you into it? Um, I played sport, honestly, pretty soon after I could walk. Like I played soccer, I played basketball, I played softball, I ran track, um, I did cheerleading, I did dance, like you name it, I've done it, I've tried it, and it was just so, deeply tied to who I was. It was everything that I saw myself. And then junior year, um, up in Worcester, took the bad tackle, heard it snap. (laughs) And (laughs) never good. And I tried to walk off the field. The trainer was just so funny. He's like, I get paid by the hour. Take your time. Just like (laughs) I get paid by the hour. Just Just so like, yeah, yeah, just so nice, but like also really funny. Like it was the best thing that I could have heard. Like after the scariest sound of my life. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. that's pretty good. Um, but it made me realize that my identity was just so tied to being an athlete before being a girl, before being black, before being anything. I was like, oh yeah, I play soccer. I'm like, (laughs) I'm an athlete. I do. I play three sports. Like you know, it was a thing. 
And when I couldn't do that, I realized, I knew I wanted to study psychology. I found one of my mom's books from college. Like I was just a really curious kid. And I was like, ooh, psych, this is it for me. And so that was the point at which I knew I wanted to study both. Um, and the University of Edinburgh, their program, I can't say enough wonderful things about it just because the way that it was structured, it was in such a way that I could go on to do my PhD or I could go out into the world and just become a practitioner. And there were HR practitioners in my course. And so that's how I ultimately ended up in like the people outside of things. Got it. Got it. Um, you can, you feel free to answer it from either your playing days or as you transition, but what are some of the most important lessons you've learned through sport that you then took with you um, into adulthood? I think I have a strong sense of ethics hmm. and I'm always someone who's like, what's the fair way to do this? And so there's a sense of fairness that's very absolute in sports. And I know that it's, you know, corrupt people throw games, whatever, whatever, once you get to the professional level. But as a, as a kid and even at the collegiate level, like I went to a D3 school, so it wasn't that serious. Um, <laughs> it, it's a very different environment where it's very clear that you put in the work, you work well together, the way in which you collaborate, like I'm a very collaborative person. I think that comes from, you know, playing team sports. Yeah. Um, all of those things are sort of the foundational pieces that lead me to be able to say, okay, there's another way to do this. There's a resourceful way to do this. Oh, if I put the planning in, then I'll have a better understanding of what the output, output could be. Okay, it didn't work this time, let's try again. And so my resilience, my sense of ethics, my love of collaborating, the fact that I will just try anything at least once, I think all comes from you know, being able to try those kinds of things in an athletic setting. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of my favorite things I've taken from sport is, you know, just the, you, you see the results, right? Like, like some things sooner than, than later, but you know, I'll right. never forget. I, I may have even told this on another one of our episodes, but like, I, I, maybe I was in fifth grade or sixth grade, but I couldn't make a left-handed layup and it took maybe a whole summer, right? Like, cause I, cause you just, when you're a kid, like you're, I, you're a righty or a lefty and then that's all you do. Yeah. And then like, finally yeah. you're like at a point where, wow, I'm not going to play a lot if I can't go left or go right. And so right. I practiced a whole summer. And when I finally got it, that was like one of the most rewarding feelings in the world. And you can take that and apply it to anything. You want to learn the piano same thing. You want to learn Spanish, same thing. Like you want to excel in your job and get a promotion, same thing. Um, I think what's so fun about sports is it's like tangible. It's like, well, I can make it now, right? Like yeah. I can make the layup. Um, so that was awesome. And then I think the other thing for me was just the importance of winning in the sense, not that just the importance of winning in the sense that like I, nobody cared who got the credit. Like, as long as we win, that's exactly. all that matters, right? Yeah. Like, and I learned that because I was, you know, again, probably in middle school when these things like really start to like settle in your brain. And I can't tell you how many times I would have, I had like 15 or 20 points and I played really well. And the only question I got from people was, did you win? 
And like, whether we won or lost, I, I would always be like, yeah, but I made three. But I had a great game. Yeah. yeah. And they were like, <laughs> I matter. could care less. <laughs> yeah. Did you win? And then, and then if you won, maybe you got to follow up about, oh, cool. Well, how, you know, how'd you play? But really that was it. And I think, you know, if people, if, if I could have our athletes take one thing, it's like, just do that. Like be humble. Don't care about who gets the credit and you'll move faster through life. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, those are my two things. Um, wanted to ask you about, you know, a couple more things, obviously, but about just mental health in our society as a whole. I think even in my lifetime, it's it's come a long way, um, you know, let alone our parents' generation. I mean, that was just like nothing. We just didn't talk. Yeah. About it. It was labeled crazy if you had. You're crazy. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> It was like, no matter what you had, you were crazy. Like, you know, now we see athletes getting involved. LeBron James partners with Calm, um, you know, meditation app. Like, you know, how much has this helped the youth space or kids in general, in your opinion, um, be able to talk about these things? I think it's helped tremendously. I think you want people to be able to bring their whole selves to whatever it is that they're doing. And trying to hide your suffering often leads to more suffering yeah. <laughs> like yeah. there there's a bunch of research around the impact that stress has in acute stress so the minute like if you're having stress like in a moment sometimes it leads to higher performance because you're like sharp and focused and you're like yeah i can do this that's like but, fight or flight right right yeah it's the fight flight freeze how do you respond in those like moments when things are really kicking off? But then there's the other side of sort of prolonged and chronic stress. And that's where you start to see all different kinds of really detrimental results and detrimental yeah. effects. So your focus is gone. You're anxious. You can't sleep. Not being able to sleep does things to your weight management, your blood pressure. You like, you just see it. It just stacks up. Yep. all of the different things that yep. can ruin you from not having a healthy outlet yep. and so i think sport is incredible in such a way because you're able to release a lot of the tension that you're feeling yep. and if you're getting the physical tension out and you have someone who's attending to you and helping to process and work through the hard parts of stress in a healthier way then that sets you up way down the line and so you may not be able to voice it to a therapist but maybe you can talk to your coach maybe you can talk to your teammate or maybe you can find the words to say it to whoever your guardian or caretaker might be yeah and yep. those are the kinds of things that you hope are coming through in in terms of understanding that we're full people and just because we're or kid athletes or whatever that your mental health doesn't come separate from that and we've seen that with so many athletes who've left the game and didn't have the aftercare that they needed yep yeah i think uh to add on to that is just normalizing the feeling whatever feeling you're having stress 100%. anxiety whatever it is that you know there was so for for most of my life it, it just you didn't talk about it right it was just like you 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 especially being a male it was like no like 
we're big, bad, tough guys. Like we don't cry. We don't have, you know what I mean? Like there's such like this stupid societal uh, wall, I guess, you know, we could call it. And I think just, yeah, like you, and, and most of the time, you know, people just want to, to talk it out. You don't mm-hmm. even necessarily need to have a solution. It's just, just let them have, have it, have a vent. Yeah. 100%. That's it. Mm-hmm. Just a vent. And you know, it's so helpful for not only athletes, youth athletes, but everybody. Um, so yeah, I, I would agree with you. I want to ask, um, one last question and then, uh, a, a bonus question that I never tell our guests about, but they, sometimes they say it's the hardest one, but we'll, we'll see. But, um, if you could, if you could wave a magic wand, and fix one thing about youth sports when we come out of COVID, what would you fix? Um, or you, you could do sports in general, but we, we, we could do youth sports I would too. Say, I, would say youth, I would keep it to youth sports just because we've sort of focused on the trauma side of things. I think not giving kids a healthy outlet for their trauma would be sort of two parts of it. And sort of having coaches be more trauma-informed outside of the SBOID space because I think that with programs like Kids in the Game there is an intent behind it but other coaches so a cousin of mine is a youth coach for the New York Red Bull Um, another friend of mine is a youth basketball coach and they didn't get any formalized training around how to help their kids when they're in distress but they're like, it's something that you learn by doing. Mm-hmm. And they're both pretty sound people. So I know that they're, you know, doing more. But what about the folks who don't know that they're doing harm? So it's like, oh, just don't worry. Just put your head back down. Just yeah. focus on the game. Don't focus on this. It's like, no, there has to be more to a conversation than that. So if that's something that we can fix, I would sort of hope that that becomes more standardized. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, well, Risa, I really appreciate it. This was uh, awesome, really a fun conversation. Really appreciate you <laughs> coming you. on and sharing your background and experience. One bonus question before we get you out of here, um, because we're New York City based, uh, we always ask everybody their favorite slice of pizza in New York City. Um, I will give you. Ooh. I will give you. If you don't, if you're not a a, a pizza person. You can do favorite restaurant. No, pizza's perfect. Okay. Um, there's Ben's Pizza, which I think was on McDougal. Ben's? Yeah. Ooh, we have not had a Ben's yet. Okay. And then there's this pizza spot down in the financial district, and I don't remember what it's called, but I used to kill the Alfredo, Alfredo Flights. Wow, the you got to That's our office. Our office is in Fidei, so you got to remember this place, and I'll we'll, we'll go get a slice. Okay, definitely down. So the Alfredo <laughs> slice in Fidei. Do you remember the street? I gotta I gotta find this out. Yeah. Um, it's like off broad. Okay. All right. Well, I'm back in New York. Like Saturday, in one of the little so. streets off broad. I got a, I got a mission now. The Alfredo slice in Fidei. I'll find yeah. it. Um, before we actually get out of here too, just want to give you the opportunity. Where can everybody find you, follow you, connect with you, like Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever you want to share? Um, um, LinkedIn's probably the easiest. Risa Hamilton Lightfoot. Not too many people with my with my last <laughs> name. 
<laughs> so very easy to find there. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Risa. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we'll be in touch soon. All right. Talk to you soon. See you. Thank you for listening to Behind the Game. Make sure to subscribe in the iTunes store and be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Kids in the Game NY and Facebook at Kids in the Game NYC.